YouTubers, thrill seekers, small gerbils, and people named Bob. Greetings and hello. It is I, your favorite obscure social studies teacher, whose amazing superpower is the ability to entertain an idea without accepting it or being offended. And welcome to this, the 100th episode of the Professor Liberty Podcast. Thank you, thank you. That's right, folks. This is the 100th episode. Obviously, I'm super excited about this. Uh, you know, I've been thinking back to what, what was the 100th episode going to be about, and it all came together today, so I'm pretty excited. You know, we've been, to, we've been around as long as Uncle Joe's presidency. Come on, man. So the Professor Liberty podcast. Well, the Professor Liberty itself came around March 2016. That's when the Facebook page was launched. Uh, the first YouTube video for Professor Liberty was uh, the uh, June uh, 5th D-Day celebration. That was 2016. And the podcast is about the same age as Uncle Joe's presidency. So it started back in 2021. February of 2021 with the number one episode. Me talking into the computer. Super, uh, I just wanted to try it and see what happened. You know, a friend of mine did a podcast. I thought about doing a podcast and it just happened. But that first episode, that was all off the top of my head, folks. Go listen to it. Never surrender. I do not think there was a written script or an idea for that. That was just me and the microphone and 20 minutes of Professor Liberty. And a lot of the stuff you guys hear, the way you, you how I talk, the jokes I make, right? The analogies I that I bring forth. This is pretty much how I am in the classroom. Now, obviously, I have to be a little more shall we say, politically correct and uh, uh, careful with things I say. But this is pretty much, you, when you guys turn on this podcast, you guys are stepping into Mr. Palumbo's classroom. This is pretty much how it is in real life. If anyone would like to email the show, the email is professorliberty1776 at gmail.com. Matter of fact, I need to go check the email. That's Professor Liberty 1776 at gmail.com. Send me your questions, your comments, your concerns, your criticisms, your ideas for new shows, questions about old shows, whatever, whatever your heart desires, just send it to Professor Liberty 1776 at gmail.com. And you can always hit me up on Facebook. A lot of you guys hit me up on Messenger with ideas and comments and articles, and I appreciate that. And you can also hit me up on Twitter if you wish. You know, Facebook is where you'll find the more moderated Professor Liberty. Over on Twitter, I tend to be a little more pithy and uh, to the point with my ideas and my thoughts. You know, there's a lot of words thrown around today. Words like racist, white supremacist, homophobic. And there's also terms like hate speech or people of color or equity and inclusion. <laughs> I was going to say exclusion, Freudian slip there. All of these terms seem to be nonstop today, especially if you're on social media. Today, if you were on social media, you heard one of those words. And if you're anything like me, you've noticed that these words kind of have new meanings. They've kind of evolved. They mean different things to different people 
uh, and they certainly uh, have changed definitions from time to time. The resurgence of some of these terms, like, for example, people of color, this one honestly blows my mind. As a kid growing up, I probably heard the term colored people once or twice. I was from California. I mean, it was only maybe your grandmother and your grandfather's generation that used that term. I mean, I don't, I remember seeing it in textbooks or pictures when you're studying the South and Jim Crow. It would say for colored people only, right? But I, I never heard this term in common conversation. But for some reason, you know, mostly to stoke racial divide, in my personal opinion, the term has been repackaged. And now it is people of color. Now, what boggles my mind is, how is colored people bad, but people of color is good, fine, and dandy, and you should use that? You're switching the words around. You know, we got to get away from letting these people change the words. Like midget, you can't say midget anymore. Well, oh, Mr. Palumbo, that's offensive. Well, what should I say? You should call them little people. That's not offensive? There's another term or word that has been thrown around a lot lately. And as a history teacher, I take particular interest in this word. And the word is fascist. Not long ago, it used to be used as a pejorative against anything right-leaning politically. But here in the last 20 years or so, it seems to me, it has evolved into meaning any person that doesn't fully accept venerate, and affirm hard left-wing doctrine. Like the terms I mentioned earlier, it seems the word fascist can be used in and out of context, and the definition can change based on the need at the time. In this modern era, the word seems to be related to a smear word like racist. Like the word racist today, the word fascist quickly appears in a conversation once the leftist knows Someone isn't going to take their arguments and opinions at face value. You're going to have to, again, argue. Show me where I'm wrong. Now, of course, they don't want to do this. And I've mentioned this a couple, a couple times on Facebook. You know, people don't really know what they believe past the third or fourth question as you probe them for why they believe what they believe. So fascist and racist normally show up in a conversation when you've asked about two or three questions uh, and they don't know how to answer those questions, so ergo, you're a fascist. You see, boys and girls, in the modern vernacular, it seems that fascist isn't a political philosophy or someone who, you know, supports a certain political philosophy. No, no, no. A fascist is someone who refuses to believe whatever the leftist swears is true. But what is fascism and what is a fascist? So today we're going to look at that. We're going to look at the history of fascism. What is it? Where did it come from? And why are people on the right typically associated with the term? Today's episode is called, Will the Real Fascists Please Stand Up? Now, I can almost guarantee you that if I asked a class full of seniors, 12th graders, who created fascism, maybe two or three would say Adolf Hitler. But did you know that Hitler wasn't the creator of fascism? He may have made it famous or infamous. He may have made the concept of fascism a household name, but he isn't the founder. The founder of fascism 
is Italian dictator Benito Mussolini. Mussolini coined the term fascism in 1919, and it derives from a word, the Roman fasces. Well, what's a fasces? A fasces was a bundle of rods with sometimes it would have an axe blade emerging from the top. You guys have seen this if you've studied uh, World War II, fascism, dictatorships, things like that. Now, if you're curious about what it looks like, just Google fasces, F-A-S-C-E-S. Now, be careful to spell it correctly or else your Google images might be a little shocking or shall we say rather stinky because the word is very similar to feces. So make sure you spell it fasces, F-A-S. A fasces was the Roman symbol for magisterial power. So think of power of the state or the government. It's similar to the king's scepter or crown being the symbol of his authority. This is fitting since fascism at its core is all about state power and control, just like communism. But more on that later. Mussolini was an unruly child. He was known for being a bully at school. And in fact, he was kicked out of several schools. But he was a very intelligent boy, and he was able to pass his final exam for graduation quite easily. Mussolini was an avid reader and enjoyed philosophy the most. Most scholars would say that this deep dive into the philosophers is what helped him construct his otherwise nebulous political theory. Mussolini was kind of known as being very shape-shifting, right? Not holding to, on to too many convictions, uh, except one, him being in power. His penchant for troublemaking and extreme politics got him arrested a time or two. And it's those extreme politics that would keep him in trouble with the authorities in those early years. It's also during this time that he became a well-known activist in socialist circles. That's right, folks. You heard it. Old Mussolini was a proud and active socialist before he became a fascist. As World War I began to creep across the continent of Europe, Mussolini began writing more and more political essays and articles advocating for war. Now, I do want to say at first he was an avid uh, pacifist. He was against the war, uh, but he's going to change his mind and those nationalistic tendencies are going to creep in. And it's his, it's his call for war that's going to uh, cause him to fall out of favor with those uh, socialists. And they're eventually going to kick him out of, his, out of the socialist ranks. He became editor of the propagandist newspaper called The People of Italy. And it was here where fascism was born. After the war, Mussolini, along with a motley crew of Republicans, revolutionaries, discharged soldiers, anarchists, just to name a few, formed the fascist party. It was around 1918 or so just after the war's end. Remember, I said he coined it back in 1919. Now, to understand how fascism became so popular, we have to look at the environment in which it incubated. Many people were disillusioned after World War I. They were questioning everything from government systems to the economy, even the existence of God. What was the entire point of all that death? So blame for the old order, which, you know, Early, early 1900s is the last vestiges of the monarchy 
and imperialism, they're going to get most of the blame. The government, the ruling class, the kings and queens, they're all at fault. And this is exactly where we're going to find Mussolini. He blamed the weak and outdated government for its problems. He saw Italy's alliances as reasons for them to get, you know, all, get into all that trouble. And he wanted to be Italians for Italy, Italy for Italians. And you can see where this, he advocated for a strong man to take the reins of the economy, to take heart, the hearts and minds of the people and to lead them into glory. Now, coincidentally, he thought he was the man to do that. You can see where the narcissism is coming in with this dictatorship thing, but he advocated for dictatorship. Now, in this country, when we say, when we hear dictator, uh, you know, it's like, whoa, hey, hey, slow down. But let's talk about dictatorship for a minute, okay? Where do we get the word dictator? It comes from dictate, which means to speak or command. So a dictator is a leader who speaks and it's done. There's no arguing. There's no compromise. There's no checks and balances. There's no vetoes. There's just action. Now, clearly, we don't have that with democracy, right? Democracy's messy. There's parties, and there's bickering, and there's, and there's veto powers, and separation of, of branches, right? Separation of powers, and there's all these Bill of Rights that the government just can't trample on. And a lot of people saw democracy as it failed. They saw democracy as a failed uh, form of government, certainly as far as the economy was concerned. So as we attempt to define fascism, we have to acknowledge first and foremost that its founder, the very person that coined fascism, wanted dictatorship, advocated for dictatorship. This is probably the number one characteristic of fascist philosophy is dictatorship. Now, let's talk about, you know, I said the right. People on the right get claimed as fascist, right? They get labeled fascist. Are, are American conservatives, modern conservatives, people on the right, is that what they're advocating for? Have you, have you guys heard any anybody on the right wanting a dictatorship? Of the two political parties in America, which one do you think is more comfortable with strong-arm style government? Which party wants you to do it? It's a top-down approach. We said it, you do it. Stop questioning. You know, don't question the experts. Follow the science. Are those... The, is that the people on the conservative side? I'm just just wondering. Another clear characteristic of fascism is nationalism. We've discussed this before on the podcast. Nationalism is extreme patriotism. Now, I'm probably trying to thread the needle here, and I probably do this in class a lot. But I tell my students that nationalism has a racial component, but it doesn't necessarily mean it carries with it racism. Now, certainly, this is where Adolf Hitler took his fascism. However, Mussolini's fascism, again, was more, you know, about dictatorship and nationalism, but it wasn't so much the racial, pure race crap that, that Hitler was so obsessed with. Nationalism is on a spectrum, if, if you will. Actually, it's a staircase. Did another podcast on that. Maybe one day I'll get that in the textbooks, the nationalism staircase. Go check it out. But nationalism is kind of a spectrum, right? The, the more you go with it, then you get into this racism and master race and, you know, but nationalism is just patriotism. You think your country's number one. Now, if you have a 98%, 95%, everybody's the same race, you have a very homogenous society, 
yes, I think nationalism can be a racial component. But I, I, I know people that uh, I was in the military. I was in the Navy growing up. You know, you could be Mexican, black, white. If you're American, you can be proud to be American. Are they nationalist? Maybe. Right. So nationalism can carry with it racial undertones. But what I'm trying to argue as I thread this needle is it's not necessarily guaranteed. It's also this idea of nationalism that caused Mussolini to break with the socialists. You see, communism, which is socialism, talks about a classless, nationless society. So on paper, the socialists aren't supposed to be nationalistic, right? We're all, we're all communists. We're all living this kumbaya, everybody has what they need, blah, 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 right? Fortunately for us, Nationalistic sentiments seem to have been hardwired, folks, and because of this, countries where communism was established, nationalism also reigned. Now, why do I say this is lucky for us? There was a time there, boys and girls, when China became communist, Russia was communist. That's a lot of people that all of a sudden became communists, and people in the West were worried that China and Russia were going to come together and join, become this giant communist uh, enemy and because they because of nationalism russians didn't like chinese chinese didn't like russians they didn't play as nice as uh, they could have right so that kind of helped out the west uh, at least during the cold war okay so fascism is dictatorial and nationalistic okay we've, we've established that well what else well let's keep going Another aspect of fascism is censorship, intimidation, and control over media through propaganda. Both Hitler and Mussolini's fascism employed censorship, propaganda, and intimidation. There was no free speech. There was no freedom of the press. Mussolini had his mob of black shirts, which they would go throughout Italy, but definitely in Rome. They would, ha- he w- they would riot, and they would destroy property, and they would beat people up. Does any of this sound familiar? A group of people going around intimidating other people who disagree with them? But I digress. Hitler used the same tactic with his brown shirts. Boy, censorship, intimidation, destruction of property. Do these seem to be conservative characteristics? Are people on the right, are people who vote conservative, vote Republican, are they the ones doing these things? If we've been paying attention... Over the past few years, this seems to be describing people on the left. You know, there's nothing more fascist today than Antifa. So why are people on the right constantly being called fascist? Well, the answer is simple, even though I guarantee you most people that use this term (laughs) have no idea why they're using it. The main connection people find with the American right and fascism is this idea of corporatism. You see, fascism... Under fascism, there was still a semi-freedom of industry. There were still concepts of private property, sort of. And I say sort of because can you really have those things if your government is totalitarian? But I think we can see from the data that I've laid out here, surely fascism has more to do with the left than it does with the right. Look, folks, the political spectrum is really a continuum. It's not a line, it's a circle. And the further you go in either direction, you're going to end up in the same place. Authoritarian government. Fascism places all things under the state for the benefit of the state. Just like communism does. 
and we noted the only real difference is minor aspects. Fascists believe in nationalism and communism doesn't, so they claim. Fascists allowed for some free enterprise and corporatism, communism don't. But let me ask you a question. Does communist China have corporatism today? Absolutely. Fascism, like communism, is all about the state. Think instead of government of the people, by the people, and for the people, it's government of the state, by the state, and for the state. In his essay, The Doctrine of Fascism, Mussolini writes this, The fascist conception of the state is all-embracing. Outside of it, no human or spiritual value can exist, much less have value. Thus understood, fascism is totalitarian and the fascist state a synthesis of a unit inclusive of all values, interpretations, developments, and postulations of the whole life of a people. Man, I hate reading philosophy. Philosophy, they just ramble. and ugh. Anyway, that's what he said. Fascists, according to the creator of fascism, is all about state control. Just like communists are all about state control. In fact, the more you study this issue, you'll find that fascism has more to do with communism than it does any other form of government. And this makes sense. Mussolini was a socialist before he became a fascist. Hitler's Nazi party is short for National Socialist Party. Fascism is basically communism, but with a little nationalism sprinkled in. And that's it. Fascists are for everything that benefits the state. There is no individualism. There is only the state. That's kind of like saying there's no different opinions. Only the approved opinion is allowed. And anyone showing individual tendencies will be censored, or as we say today, canceled. Who is doing all the counseling right now, right? Who's doing all the canceling? Is it people on the right? Or is it people on the left? Are conservatives the ones calling for mandated vaccines and greater censorship? Are conservatives the ones dressing up in black shirts and black beanie caps and covering their faces and going out and throwing bricks through windows? Are conservatives advocating for sexual propaganda to be used in schools for younger and younger students? Are conservatives stifling free speech? I think it's time for the real fascists to stand up. Stop the charade. Stop the virtue signaling and just admit proudly, like Mussolini did, that you, the leftist, the liberal, the Democrat, the person on the left, you are the real fascist. Here at Professor Liberty, we seek to educate, inspire, and restore. If you like this podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts and give me a five-star rating. Even better, you can give me a written review. If you guys like this show, you like the content, you like the message, please follow me on Facebook, Twitter. Please share my posts, like my posts, comment on my posts, so we can get past the liberal algorithm, the Zuckerberg algorithm. You can go to TeachersPayTeachers.com to look at activities, lessons for your homeschool or your classroom. That's another way you can support Professor Liberty. Until next time, here's to another 100 episodes. Go throughout the land and proclaim liberty.